Welcome to the Let's Get Vulnerable podcast with me, your host, Dr. Morgan Anderson, clinical psychologist, relationship coach, love expert, creator of the ESL relationship method, and athletic wear connoisseur. My mission is to help you raise your self-worth, have great relationships, and step confidently into the next level of your life. Each week, two episodes will air featuring expert advice, live coaching, and tips showing you exactly how to improve your life and attract great relationships. You deserve to feel empowered, secure, and loved. So buckle up and let's get vulnerable. Are you tired of investing your time and your energy into relationships that go nowhere and you know deep down the common denominator is you? You have awareness that whatever you're doing right now in relationships is not working, it's not serving you, and you are ready to take ownership of this area of your life and finally learn how to embody a securely attached, confident woman who can attract a great relationship. If that's you, I have a very special invitation I want to invite you to apply to the Empowered, Secure, and Loved program. This is a program designed to help you no matter your attachment style, no matter your relationship past, it will help you move to secure attachment so that you can show up confident, you can communicate well, you can navigate any kind of conflict, and you can create that relationship that you've always wanted while simultaneously having high self-worth and high levels of self-love. If that's you and you know that in 2022, you are ready for a great relationship and you're committed to getting there, I want to personally invite you to apply to the ESL program Use the link in my Instagram bio. On Instagram, it's at Dr. Morgan Coaching, DR Morgan Coaching. And the link is also in the show notes. Spots are extremely limited. So go apply now to reserve your spot and start your journey to high self worth and great relationships. Welcome, everyone, to a very special episode of the Let's Get Vulnerable podcast. We have Nicole Lappin, host of Money Rehab with us. Hello, Nicole. Hello. Thank you for having me, Morgan. Oh, I'm so excited to dive in with you. I do want to do a little intro so our audience knows who you are and just a little bit about you. Uh, Nicole is a financial journalist, television news anchor, and businesswoman known for her work on CNBC, CNN, Bloomberg and MSNBC. In addition to being a New York Times bestselling author of Rich Bitch, Boss Bitch, Becoming Superwoman, and Miss Independent, she is the host of the chart topping daily podcast, Money Rehab with Nicole Lappin. Welcome. Thank you. Wow. I sound so rad. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm like, I can barely, you know, get it together this morning, but uh, my bio sounds pretty dope. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I'm so excited to talk with you. I nice. I love this. Um, One of the things I always like to ask our guests when we get going is just how did you get here? 
Like what led you to do the work that you do? I am the least likely person to be a money expert. I grew up in an immigrant family. I, you know, first generation American, had a super broken home, never talked about money or stocks or bonds at the kitchen table. You know, my parents used cash. I talk about in my last book that I bailed my mother out of jail when I was in middle school using cash uh, under the sink behind the maxi pads. So that was like my foray into anything money related. The last thing I ever thought I would talk about was finances. My boyfriend in high school said he wanted to be a hedge fund manager. I thought he wanted to be in gardening. So like I am was super, super clueless about all things money until I just needed a job. And I was 18 years old and I wanted a job at a broadcasting company that I totally stocked the station chief and finally got an interview and wanted to work at the CBS station in Milwaukee. He said that I don't get that job, but if I knew anything about business news and I said, absolutely, I love business news. And I totally lied and faked it till I made it and figured out that money is just a language like anything else. We just don't have a Rosetta Stone for that language growing up. So fast forward, I spoke the language. I spoke it to the world. And now I'm teaching other people how to do it because it's not as complicated as I made it out to be in my head. It sounded really scary because I didn't speak the language. But just like any other language, if you go to Japan and you don't speak Japanese, you'll be really freaking confused. If you go to Wall Street and you don't speak the language of money, you will also be really freaking confused uh, until, of course, you speak it. And then I wanted to chat with my former self about all the things she wished she knew, but didn't. This is so good. I love it. And I know, I mean, just like with relationships, right? I mean, there's so many beliefs that get wired unconsciously and things that we have to let go of. So same with money, you know, letting go of those beliefs, learning a new language, getting the skills, but you can learn it all. I think that's the really empowering thing. You're never too broke or too broken like there's always a way to move forward. Yeah, you're never as young as you are today. As far as it goes with investing, people think it's too late. They're too old. They didn't right. start earlier. They don't have enough money to start. And those are all stories we tell ourselves. The biggest enemy is between our ears to getting our financial life together. It's not the math stuff that's the most complicated. People will say all the time, like, I don't know math. I can't do numbers and stuff like that. I started as a poetry major a poetry major. Like, hello. Uh, if I could do it, I, I promise I keep saying this, but it's true. Uh, you can too. It's the humanities part that gets in everybody's way. It's like how to talk to your significant other about money or how to get your friend to pay you back. It's the humanities part. It's the relationship part that is the biggest thing that stands in people's way, not the math and the numbers part. I love that so much. So, so much. And I think you know, a lot of it can come back to your beliefs about your worthiness too. And just believing that, Hey, I'm deserving of putting time into figuring this out. I think sometimes that gets in the way of, we just feel like, Oh, there's so many other things going on in life or like just so focused on external people, pleasing job, pleasing, whatever, that we don't just take the time to sit down and invest in ourselves and invest in our own learning and say, I'm worthy of figuring this out. Yeah, I'm worthy of worth. 
Totally. Uh, we all have financial traumas that will come up and bite you if you don't deal with just like any other kind of trauma, you know, whether it's in the familial sense, you know, like I had mentioned, it doesn't need to be to that extreme, but we all have sort of the way we were brought up impacts how we look at money today, whether our family hoarded or or spent too much or got into debt or whether your mom hid packages or shopping from your dad or stuff like that, or even from your friend group uh, or from a macro sense. If you grew up in the dot-com bubble or uh, if you saw the housing crash growing up, I saw my family's house foreclosed on. And so that affects how I deal with money. Um, We all have those things and it's about addressing them for yourself in order to take back your money story. I love it. I love it so much. Um, we, but it's also I'll- financial self-care. So last thing I'll say is like, yeah. we think a lot about self-care being deep tissue massages and pedicures. And I love a deep tissue massage as much as the next girl. Uh, but also this is self-care. Dealing with your debt is self-care. Opening the bills is self-care. Uh, it might not sound as sexy and fun and there's no like Zen music unless you want to just crank that Zen music up uh, while you're going through your banking portal. I'm here for that. Uh, but yeah. that's a different form of self-care. And I think financial self-care should be prioritized just like any other kind. I love that. And I think sometimes it's those, you know, things that we avoid or like the mundane maintenance things of life that can actually feel the best as self-care when we go, yeah, I am going to sit down and pay all my bills and organize everything and know exactly where I stand with money. Just as you said, it's not as quote unquote sexy as like a bubble bath, but it can feel so good And I think that's also how we build our self-worth or heal our self-worth too. When we start to trust ourselves that we know that we're going to show up for ourselves and do the hard things and take care of ourselves. You know, it's like healing self-worth through action. So amen, sister. Yeah. I have a friend who will like pour herself a glass of wine and get on her favorite music and put on a nice dress And then she'll pay her bills and go over her money stuff. Stop. I need to know her. (laughs) She's my hero. That's amazing. I love that so much. You can make it as fun as you want. Like you can pair it with whatever you want, you know. Totally. Wear a ball gown for your bills. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Pour yourself a nice glass of champagne. Every day is a celebration. Even the days where you do financial housekeeping. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Um, Nicole, we get a lot of pitches to come on this podcast, which is something I know you can relate to. I'm sure just the endless emails. Um, and what really grabbed my attention, seeing what you could talk about, like your topics, it was this topic of what his dating style says about his money. I was like, yes, we need to talk to Nicole. We need to know about this. So let's dive in. (laughs) Let's dive in. Yeah, I think that having a talk with your significant other is really important at different stages of your relationship, right? When you're moving in together, it's a different conversation than, you know, when you're getting married. I love a good prenup conversation or even a postnup after you're married. Uh, or when you have kids talking about advanced financial things like a will or an advanced directive. 
not super funsies, but you can make it funsies, you know, wear some lingerie for it or a ball gown or whatever. Uh, you know, I think these are the important talks that a lot of couples avoid. And I think that early on in a relationship, you can absolutely, you know, it's not about asking your credit score on the first date, but you can glean somebody's financial habits uh, through what you're doing, like what kinds of activities you're doing, you know, who's paying for the bill at dinner, uh, what is the state of their house or their apartment. There are little things and little clues that you can pick up on if you're paying attention and you're actually seeing them for what they are. I mean, you talk about this, right? You, when somebody shows you who they are, you have to believe them. So like, look at these things and see if that's going to be compatible with you and your own financial life. I think there should be a filter on dating apps for credit score and finances. I mean, I don't think that's going to happen, but I think it's more important than a lot of the other arbitrary filters we have for like if he's 5'8 or 5'9 doesn't matter as much as if he has $200,000 of debt or is you know in debt with a friend who he owes it owes money to financial infidelity is real and it's just like you know relationship other kinds of infidelity it's lying about money and that's something that's a big red flag early on i love this so much i think one of the things that comes to mind for me, like, let's talk about the guy who just has no idea where his money is even at, is not budgeting, doesn't really know how much is in his bank account, doesn't even know what his debt is. Like just that complete, you know, I, I know, you know, yeah. all these people, they have like no idea where their financial life is at. What do you think that says about how they would be as a partner. That says to me that they're dissociated from it or they're avoidant. Uh, and these are hard, like adult things. You know, if you're dating in college, this is a different story, like fine. But if you're a grown ass adult, can I say that? Uh, yeah. if, you're a, if you're a grown up and you're having a serious, you know, um, stab at dating to ultimately get married or build a life with somebody, these are you know, big red flags if they're avoided about money. It's so funny you say that because we talk so much on this podcast about avoidant attachment styles. So to me, yeah, I would agree that I think that means that they're struggling with feeling difficult emotions, probably like fear and maybe even some shame and regret and taking responsibility. So instead of dealing with their money and feeling those things, they're avoiding it, which is what somebody with avoidant attachment style will do. They'll just say bye to the relationship instead of showing up and feeling the feelings and being present. So I think yeah. you're right. And doing the work and doing the hard things that you want somebody yeah. with secure money attachment. But you Absolutely. have to have that first, by the way, because that Ooh. attracts, you can't be an avoidant or insecure person, right? In sort of the clinical psychology behind it and expect to find somebody that's going to be attracted to you who has secure attachment. That's not a thing. You have to be the change. Like if you want to find somebody with secure financial attachment, you need to put your oxygen mask on first. Ooh, with the tough love. It's true. <laughs> it, I like, you know, I did DBT stuff, which I'm sure you 
you know, have talked about it. And that really helped me in a lot of ways, but it showed me that you can have forgiveness and tough love for your former self. You can forgive the girl who, you know, was so clueless, like I was about money and also say, it's not okay moving forward now that I know more. So I think it's a combination of those things, but you, you know, really need to act in accordance with what you say you want. And this also goes for parenting too. When, when people ask me what they can do to help their kids become more financially literate, I say, are you financially literate? Like, how are you acting in front of your kids? Are you spending a bunch of money? Like they're watching you. So before you think about other people, you know, the only person you can control is only one person. Mm, that's so what good. So good. And just for the audience, Nicole was mentioning dialectical behavior therapy, um, which we have talked about dialectics on a past episode. So yeah, acknowledging that you can have multiple truths at once. So you can be compassionate for your past self and say, it's going to be different moving forward. That's right. I love that. Love it. Um, I have a random question that comes up from an ex-boyfriend of mine. So this should be fun. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. So what do you think it says about someone if, while well, I dated him for three years, he had a spreadsheet of every single time he paid for anything for us? In your relationship? And then... In our relationship. And he did that for his own bookkeeping or he did that to sort of use as a weapon? Did he weaponize it? He did weaponize it. So yes. he was like, look at all these things I bought for you or paid for. Yeah. Not and cool. then when we, when we broke up, he sent me an invoice. Shut up. Are you serious? Can we I'm call serious. him right now? <laughs> I have some more to call him up. <laughs> what? I actually yeah. never heard that. I thought that might be where the story was going, but wow. And what and did you say to that? Of things that he had said he was going to, you know, happily pay for like dinners out or whatever. And then we break up and he sends me an invoice. For half of it or mm -hmm. all of it? Well, oh my God. certain things was all of it. Certain, you know, he had it tallied up. So, whoa. And what was your response? <sighs> Honestly, I mean, I've never talked about this on the show, you know, honestly, in the beginning, I was like, no, that's crazy. And then he was threatening to sue me. So clearly very healthy relationship here, what? threatening to sue me for these amounts. So I just paid it. I just paid it. Wow. Yeah. That is a special kind of dude. And, and he's an ex-boyfriend for a reason. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, very like unhealthy dynamic there. Um, but I, you know, for me, like I think about his, his financial way of being like, I don't want to say, yeah, it was emotional manipulation. Right. And like, he did that with money, but he also did it with emotions. So his wow. financial life mirrored the emotional life in our relationship. And I find that fascinating. Yeah. I mean, it makes all the sense in the world. If you are manipulating in general with emotions or feelings, then why wouldn't you, why would there be some sort of barricade against doing it financially, financial manipulation as well? You kind of use all the 
tools in your shed or arrows in your quiver or whatever. And so that that makes sense. I've never heard something so extreme in all my years of doing this. Um, so, wow. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's clearly, um, you know, very, very telling and and bizarre on so many levels. Yeah. And it's interesting. So I think about when couples get to the place where you're talking about money and you're talking about who's going to pay for what, and is it going to be exactly equal right down the middle? Like one of the things that happens is we realize people who've been emotionally hurt in the past struggle with emotional investment. And that also shows up in the financial world. Like they struggle with financial investment. So if they have beliefs that, oh, she's just going to leave me, they're going to struggle to take you out for that dinner or to pay for that trip to Cabo. Because there's some of that emotional stuff of what if I invest and it just doesn't work out, right? So I I just think that's fascinating how those things are connected. Yeah, it, you know, it goes along the same lines of emotionally hurt people, hurt people, financially hurt people, try to hurt people. And, you know, it's, you know, this other psychology idea that uh, if it's hysterical, it's historical. If you're really freaking out over something, it's not the something it's like, where's that coming from? Like, what kind of work do you have to do uh, around that financial trauma or that financial trigger? And look, we, we, as we grow, we do work hopefully on ourselves in all aspects. And finances is one that people don't want to talk about. I would argue that mental health is less taboo than financial health, but they're absolutely interconnected. They're so connected. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I would say on the sort of less extreme scale than what your ex did, you know, sometimes you'll see people throw money back in your face or like make you try to make you feel guilty or um, shameful or something about like what they've paid for. And, you know, that's again, it's just one of the one of the tools that they have to inflict whatever abuse that they might do in other aspects. Like it it makes sense that it financially would be an extension of who they are as a partner in general. Absolutely. Absolutely. Another thing I'd want to talk about is people who are over giving or overspending in relationships or just even in their life. Where do you feel like that comes from? Well, there are, you know, two extremes. One where people think they're going to live forever. So, uh, you know, they end up hoarding more or like saving too much. That can actually be a different extreme or one that they're going to die tomorrow where there's like FOMO and then they're spending too much. The sweet spot is somewhere in between thinking you're going to live forever and die tomorrow. Uh, But it's, you know, it's, dicey on both ends of the extreme. So if you're overspending, uh, getting into debt, uh, you know, whether it's credit card debt or like owing other people money or could be more sketchy or nefarious, then yeah, that is, you know, that probably stems from some other issue of inadequacy. 
right? So it would just be an extension of where that inadequacy comes from. Like where in your childhood did that come from? Did you feel like you didn't have enough stuff uh, or the cool clothes or whatever growing up? Uh, did your parents, you know, did you feel like you didn't get enough love? For that? Like it can go on and on and on. And I think that peeling back the layers of that onion is really important to have ultimately that secure attachment, not only for yourself to have your own financial life together, because ultimately, you know, that's what you can control and what you should always control, no matter whether you're in a relationship or not. Um, You know, I bought myself a right-handed wedding ring before I had one on the other hand, because the most important relationship is the one you have with yourself. And so whether you're in a relationship or not, the biggest thing I hear from women is that like a dude is going to handle it. No, this is great. No, and there's nothing that dudes know more about money than we do. They just talk about it more confidently. There have been studies that show little girls and little boys, I'm sure you'd be into this, uh, associate way different words with money. Like little girls associate scarcity words and like scary words with money and little boys associate all these uh, power words or, you know, and so it's been socialized to us since we were little. And, you know, just because it's been done a certain way, doesn't mean it's the way it needs to be, but you have to be the one to say that nobody's going to do that for you. I love this so much. And I've had my own experiences where I've had men, you know, try to tell me what to do with my money in times where I felt like I needed a man to tell me what to do. Um, and I've had to totally unlearn that and realize, oh, I can be in control of my money. And I also believe that no one's going to care more about your money than you will. And that it really is. It is your responsibility. Um, And I had to just unlearn all that BS that as women, that we don't know what we're doing because we do. It's true. We do. Absolutely. And, you know, having financial security for yourself, whatever that looks like, or financial confidence, um, you know, defining what that is and not changing the goalpost on yourself, depending on Instagram is really important. And that allows you the freedom to leave a crappy job or leave a crappy relationship. There are so many unfortunate DM slips that I get. These are the fun, sexy DMs I get about money, Um, but also women who say that they were in abusive relationships or stayed too long because they were scared that they couldn't support themselves financially. No, that is not a reason. I know it's easier said than done, but money gives you that freedom to take control in all aspects of your life. I love this so much. And I think it's important to realize that we can take care of ourselves financially and we can receive to acknowledge that both can be true. Just like we're back to dialectics, right? You don't have to choose one or the other. You really can have both. Absolutely. I was never shy about the idea that I wanted a guy to pay on a first date, like period, end of story. Now I wrote a book called Rich Bitch. Like I am all about female empowerment. And to me, I could, of course, pay for my own dinner. I could pay for the whole restaurant's dinner. I could probably have paid for the whole restaurant if I wanted to, but I didn't want to. I didn't need somebody else to pay for it, but I wanted that. And that made me feel safe from all of my financial 
trauma that I had. I, for me, and by the way, being a feminist is not telling other women what to do, but saying like, you do you, if you want to split the bill, that's on you, but do you really want to do it? Or do you, are you saying that because you think that's the right thing to do? For me, it was, it was like no dice. First date, I do the, the reach, the, like a polite reach. Like, can I contribute to this? But I didn't, you know, (laughs) I wasn't about paying for a first date. And that's just me. And that's saying that I can have my own financial life together, but also receive. And also receive. I love that so much. And I think every person listening needs to think about, well, what is it that you want, right? It's not about what you need, but what, how, like, how do you want to feel? I always ask my clients that be clear on how do you want to feel in your relationships? And on a first date, if you want to feel cared for and you want to feel that you're being invested into, yeah, let the other person pay for it by all means, right? Yeah. Be really honest about the values you want in your life. Like nobody has to see them. Nobody has to wake up in your life. If you value power and fame and whatever, like just own it. The worst thing is when when people say they value something else. Like if you really value that, then, you know, that's your truth. And that's cool. And like no judgment, but really living by your truth is being honest first and foremost, about what that is and how you want to, you know, show up in a relationship. Because I went through this, you know, myself and trying to figure out what were uh, my need to haves and nice to haves in relationships. And for a long time, I was like, it doesn't matter. Like they have kids, doesn't matter if they like they're this religion, whatever, this political, whatever, no big deal. It's just like the connection. No, it's not. This is not like a democracy here. <laughs> this is this is not a charity. Not everybody is invited. You, you have to have some guardrails and boundaries around what it is you want and how you want to be treated. Yeah. Decide, decide what you're calling in, whether it's your relationships or your financial life, make that decision, decide what it is and get super, super clear. Totally. Yeah. And the finances too, the shaded part of that Venn diagram, like what do you want that to look like when you're moving in together? You know, are the bills under one person's name? I've gone through divorce boot camps with women where they get screwed in one of two ways. Either the bills are under somebody else's name, so they don't have credit, or the bills are under their name and somehow they didn't get paid, so their credit was screwed. Like these, again, not the fun, sexy conversations to have, but absolutely important. I think that prenups are an important talk to have as people get married later and later. I tell women all the time to take that conversation back and own it. This is not like somebody's making you do this. By the way, you have value and worth and and prenups also protect you from taking on somebody else's debt. And it protects you from having the state decide what happens in your relationship. If nothing else, like I don't want the state to decide what happens in anything that I can avoid them not having a say in. So yeah, the, you know, put your big girl pants on and handle it. Amen. Amen. I love it. <laughs> Can we talk about this belief that money, like getting to a certain amount of money is going to make us feel good enough? Like that somehow money is going to change our worthiness? 
There have been studies that show about $75,000 is like the sweet spot of where your needs are met. And then things above that are gratuitous. And so there's not a lot of difference in your life emotionally if you have $100,000 in your bank account or a million dollars in your bank account or you're making that much. And the worthiness is, you know, like your own journey. I talk about what I made at all of my jobs in my books. Um, I'm really open and honest. I put my money where my mouth is because I think women in particular should talk more about money. So I'll be at dinner with my girlfriends and, you know, we'll talk about everything, sexy time and bikini waxes and like whatever. And then I say, what are you making or what's in your bank account? And it's crickets. And I'm like, y'all told me about things that <laughs> your landing strip and other things like now this is crickets, what you're making. And so I go first when hard conversations happen. As you know, somebody has to go first and it gives the other person license to do the same thing. But I do that knowing that, you know, my what I make or how what's in my bank account is not connected directly to my worth. I don't view my worth in those numbers. And if somebody else feels bad about that, that's not on me. That's their own work to do and their own discovery around that. Having information is, you know, I don't think information is necessarily power. I think action is power, but money is a tool, like, you know, a tool for a house. You can use a hammer to build it or tear it down. A tool is like, superpower. It can be used for good or for evil. It's how you use it though. Amen. Yeah. We have to disconnect our money from our worthiness. We just have to, and I think get to this place where we realize that money is a multiplier. I'm sure you've heard that, that it doesn't change who you are at all. It can just help you become more of who you are. So if you're very generous say in poverty, you will be incredibly generous as a wealthy woman. So I think money needs to get into the hands of good people, right? So we create more good in the world. There's so much bullshit out there about money making people evil and bad and uppity or, you know, too, too big for their britches is what my Montana family would say. You don't want to be too big for your britches. (laughs) Like all this like crazy stuff out there, but actually money can just be really good and really helpful. And people with money can be incredibly generous and kind and compassionate. Totally. There are crappy people who have money and crappy people who don't have money and and vice versa. And I think money without meaning is just paper or the numbers in your bank account. So it's about assigning that meaning for yourself. But I have been broke as broke can be. And I have had money. And I can tell you that having money is more fun. It doesn't buy you happiness, but it affords you the tools that can bring you joy. Um, It doesn't, you know, it can't buy you knowledge, but it can afford to buy you classes and, you know, and those other tools that can get you to what you want. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a, it's a multiplier can help you become your best self or your worst self. Yeah. Absolutely. I love this so much. We don't really talk about money very much on the podcast. So I think it's awesome to have you come on specifically and how we can tie it to women's journeys in their dating lives and in their lives in general. Um, 
One thing we didn't talk about that I want to get to is as a woman, when you make more money than your partner does, and how do we completely let go of any guilt or fear or any emotions around that? Well, if you don't want to make more than your partner in a dating phase, then that should be a breaker for you. Like, be really, really honest with yourself about that. If you're going to find resentment later on, then just don't get into it. If, of course, you know, circumstances change as life happens and crap happens because it inevitably will. If somebody loses their job, if somebody gets sick, God forbid, then, of course, that happens. Uh, but if you're going into it knowing that that's not going to be okay with you and you are choosing a partner that, you know, doesn't want a lot of money or doesn't want to make more money than they already have, then you need to know that that's going to be your life. And whether that's okay for you or not is up to you. And it's okay for it not to be okay, too. Ooh, this is so good because I was out, um, to like a happy hour with one of my girlfriends and we were talking about this and for her, it's a non-negotiable that her partner would earn more than, than she does. Like that's how she wants to feel. And that's great. the kind of relationship she wants. And that's great. And for me, I do not care at all. Like it doesn't like, I've honestly thought about it and I've been brutally honest with myself and I'm fine with being the the higher earner in the relationship. So I love this that we're talking about. Like you have to actually ask yourself. You won't know unless you ask yourself. Yeah, but it would be a different story if you were like, I'm totally fine with it and being the breadwinner. If right. you weren't fine with it, if like giving something lip service is different than actually believing it, right? For a long time, I would say I'm fine on my own, whatever. And I didn't believe it. I thought that I, my life would actually start when I found a partner. And then I got to a point where I was like, I fully 100%, like maybe I was put on this planet to help women with money and that's cool. And I wasn't meant to be married and have kids. And I am like 1000% cool with that legit, not lip service, but legit. Okay. With it. And that's of course when I met my fiance, but, but I got to that point where I like really believed what I was saying. And sometimes we tell ourselves stuff because that's what we think we should do. And again, that's just getting back to what your truth is. So if you're okay with it and your partner makes less money than you, okay, great. Then great. Yeah. In live, my perfect live your best life. Yeah. Like in my perfect universe, I would continue to do all the things I do in my career and be incredibly successful. And my partner would be the stay at home dad. Like that is my dream, you know? Great. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's value in so many things that people contribute to oh, yeah. relationships. And I think mm -hmm. I got to this place where it was like, I am so financially safe and secure and I don't, I don't need money from a partner and I don't want money from a partner. And I, I want the things that I can't give myself, which is emotional support and someone to care for children and like all those things that actually I can't give myself. Right. So it's just been fascinating to me that that's the place I've arrived at. I would have in my younger, like 20 something, I would have never thought I'd get to this place, but this is honestly where I am. Um, but I just want to acknowledge, as you've said, it can be different for every single person listening. So 
the important thing is tune in to yourself and find out what's your truth. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> You're right. Tune into that truth, period, full yes. stop, the end. Absolutely. This has been so good. I love our conversation here. Likewise. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I love yeah, financial you. wellness is just as important. Financial intelligence, I call it FQ, like EQ. You know, as you know, studies have shown is more valuable to get ahead in your career than uh, IQ. Um, and it's something that you can control. You know, it's really hard to change your IQ, but you can control your EQ and you can control your FQ. That's all within your power. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I myself growing up with like low, low middle class, watching my own family go through bankruptcy, tons of scarcity, clothes from Goodwill, hamburger helper for dinner every night, right? Like I had all of this stuff that if I had let that run my life, it would be a whole different, whole different outcome. but I took a ton of ownership and I think I've read like hundreds of books at this point and learned about the stock market. And, you know, I had to take ownership of that. So I think I can definitely relate to your story. And once again, if I can do it, anybody can do it. I know you said that there's nothing special about me or, (laughs) you know, it's like you actually can take ownership and educate yourself. You can. And, you know, not to get woo woo necessarily, but there is an attraction. There's like a law of attraction with money too. When you hoard it and you keep like hold on to it and you have this scarcity mindset, you know, you're not putting the money and the energy out there. When you, even when I didn't have money, you know, and I'd see a homeless person and give them money because I feel like money has that energy to come back to you. Again, it's not all manifestation, like sitting around and manifesting money. You actually have to do things for it, but it, the, there is some of that energy component to it as well. Yeah. Oh, there absolutely is. It always amazes me when I have like an expense go out and then it's like the same amount in earning that comes back in like the same day. It never fails. I'm like, how, how does this happen? Right. But thanks universe. Yeah. We all have like money set points and we also have relationships set points as well. So it's so fascinating when we dive into those things. I agree. I agree. And it's an extension of other things. And so general wellness, you know, happens together. If you're feeling shaky, you know, emotionally or mentally, like who knows some of that, the core of what's causing that could be financial, could be like the hamburger helper you ate. And maybe it did cause trauma for you. Like I was told growing up to um, you know, only flush the toilet when it was number two to save money on water and like, and, and turn the lights off so I, we could save money with electricity. And now I just realized my fiance was like, you leave the lights on everywhere all the time because it's still like this little thing where I'm like, fuck yeah. Oh, sorry. Can I say fuck yeah? Yeah. Okay. I can, I can turn all the lights on now. I, I, this is my story. I get to do it and I'm going to leave the lights on. Okay. I love it. Rebellion. I know I refuse to eat hamburger helper. Never in my life. again. again. No. (laughs) So funny. So good. Um, Nicole, I want to make sure people can connect with you. That's really important to me. So how can they find you? 
uh, at Nicole Lappin, wherever social media is served, uh, except on TikTok, I have a dot in between. Uh, or you can listen to my daily money show, Money Rehab, where we rehab all your money issues. And the only problem you can't fix, as you know, especially with money, is the one you don't admit you have. So mm. the first step to any recovery is admitting you have that problem. And we all have problems, especially money problems. At every level, every step of the way. I love There's it. There's so always much. more stuff to learn. The language just keeps expanding. You know, when I was learning it for the first time, there were no NFTs and blockchain and metaverse and SPACs and ESG and whatever other Lord. alphabet soup there is now. So, you know, having that base sooner than later is really important because it will continue to evolve and grow just like anything else. And you're never as young as you are today. And as far as I'm concerned, today is as good a day as any. I love it. Love it so much. Go check out Nicole. Make sure that you tune into her show. I know I will be. Um, I love that you have a daily show. I, I do twice a week. So daily. Yeah, some days I love that. <laughs> some You're days. like, yeah, sometimes it's good. <laughs> It's awesome. It's a lot. lot. But look, you know, we're, I think we're in a recession right now. There's a lot of serious, important um, issues that are happening with what I think are the most important health and wealth. Um, And so we try to cover it all from inflation to interest rates. And, you know, I recently told a woman to cancel her wedding because she couldn't afford it. So that's the kind of show we have. Financial infidelity, financial fetishes, like all sorts of stuff. Money touches everything, especially relationships. I I love it. I love it so, so much. Um, I have one last question for you. I ask this of every guest, and that is if you were walking down the street and someone comes up to you and they want your best life advice of the moment, so it doesn't have to be like your all-time life advice, right? But like, what would you say right now? If someone asked you that, invest, invest if you can, even a little bit. Uh, compound interest is an amazing force that I wish I took advantage of earlier. I wish I had more money in the last recession because a lot of stuff is on sale right now. Um, high quality investments are on sale, and recessions can be times when great fortunes are made. So I think it's. It's from like my DBT class that I took um, to sometimes think opposite. And so when you're feeling overwhelmed by what's happening in the stock market and you're like, everybody's selling, I should sell. It's so scary. My 401k is going down. Yes, it is scary. And also it could be a great buying opportunity. It could be the opposite that you should be doing um, compared to groupthink, which is, you know, often what happens when the market goes down, but there's one adage on Wall Street that is true all the time. And it's buy low, sell high. And so when things are low, that's a buying opportunity, not a selling opportunity. Amen. I love it. (laughs) Nicole, thank you so much for coming on. It's my pleasure. I appreciate it so much. All right. And everyone, of course, you know, we are wishing you high self-worth and great relationships. We'll talk to you soon. You guys, thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate each and every one of you. The best way that you can thank me is by sharing this episode on Instagram, 
Facebook and making sure that you tag me at Dr. Morgan Coaching. And it would really mean the world to me if you took just two minutes to leave me a five-star review on iTunes. This podcast is not free to produce. And the more that you help this little show grow, the more people will have access to this valuable information. So until next time, I'm wishing you high self-worth and great relationships. Thank you for being part of this community.